0: Good morning. To be with you guys. Hey, we're going to continue in our series in the book of Philippians. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Philippians. We're looking at chapter 4, verses 2 to 7 this morning. If you don't have a Bible, go ahead and raise your hand. And then one of the ushers will walk down the aisle and get you a copy of God's word. Um, if you forgot a Bible, don't be shy. Raise your hand. Keep it raised high. We'd love for you to have a Bible um, so that we, you can follow along with us this morning. And if you don't own a Bible, go ahead and keep your hand up and keep the one that we're handing out. It is our gift to you so that you can grow and an understanding and a knowledge of Jesus Christ. So um, just kind of heads up, next week, we, um, we get a chance to hear from somebody who's a guest, and that is we have been in a partnership with a person by the name of Cody Harris. He lives in St. George, Utah, which is just, um, just um, about an hour or so outside of Las Vegas in Utah, and he has been in a church planting residency with us t- with the desire to plant a church in, in St. George, Utah. If you don't know much about St. George, Utah or the state of Utah, um, it's heavily Mormon populated, and so it's really difficult for them to start churches um, like ours there So anyways, Cody's going to be here on a Sunday, an opportunity for him to preach And so uh, make sure you guys are here to meet him Just going to hear more about what God's doing there and pray with him And maybe if you know anybody else, because I know I don't, in St. George, Utah you, could, uh, you can recommend them to go his way um, Like I said, he'll be here preaching um, We'll see how he does If he doesn't do well, uh, we'll stop support And so we will <laughs> All right Little truth in every joke. And so there's uh, a... <laughs> just be here next, year, next week for, for Cody. Good luck for him. So we have been in this series for a few weeks, and uh, we're coming to the end of the, of the, not just this chapter, but we're coming to the end of the book of Philippians. And so uh, as a recap, what we said was the book was written by the Apostle Paul to the church that's in Philippi. Um, normally when Paul would write letters, there would be an issue that he would be addressing, and this particular letter he's writing to friends, and he's writing to friends to encourage them about their faith, and there was some persecution that was happening, persecution from the outside and also from in the inside. The outside was that anybody in that particular time in the Roman Greco world in the first century church just by believe, believing that Jesus was Lord was a direct opposition to what everybody else believed, which was Caesar was Lord. And so there was persecution. In fact, Paul is writing this letter from prison in the same persecution because he is in prison because he believed that Jesus is Lord. Um, also, the issues that were happening within the church were there were this group of people named as Judaizers. These were men and women who believed that a person would have to believe in Jesus, also observed all the ceremonial laws that we see in the Old Testament that were under the Old Covenant, not the New Covenant. And Paul, um, what we have heard for the last two weeks, said, absolutely not. A man or a woman is accepted before God, not on the basis of their works, but on the basis of what Jesus Christ has done on their behalf. And Paul himself begins to talk to us about how we ought to live out this faith and encourage us to live this faith. Uh, We saw that in chapter 3. And this faith in itself is a, a faith in which we live in the power of the resurrection, knowing that God himself is coming to renew all things. What we have today in the verses in which we have is that Paul continues to encourage the body of believers, the men, women, and children that are there to live a certain way. And the way that he begins to explain for us to live, we can put it in a a title, is that when we begin to believe in God's presence, it provides for us a non-anxious presence. So when we begin to believe in God's presence, have faith in Christ and his presence with us, it provides for us the ability to have a non-anxious presence. I want to, the, the best way for me to describe a non anxious presence is to describe the opposite. Most of us know what it's like to have somebody in our life, a boss, uh, a father, a pastor, or something like that. Don't say pastor. Um, that is, uh, that just, you know, just their, their anxiety ramps up the anxiety in the whole room, right? Their presence makes the whole room worse, right? You guys know people like that? Yeah, yeah of course you do. And people who know you know people like that. And so there's, there's, there's. <laughs> There, we, don't, we don't usually carry our anxiety and so forth in ways that are really, really healthy, and so we don't make the room usually better sometimes. We oftentimes make it worse. And so how do we as believers have that? And the reason why I use the phrase non anxious presence, one, because I think it's a desire that most of us want to have. I know that I want to have it. I'm not the person that has it. Um, and because we said this before, when it comes to Philippians, one of the the biggest tasks about teaching through the book of Philippians is many people who have been Christians, like they know the book and they know, they don't really know the book all the time, but they know a lot of the verses in it. And we've said that the the book of Philippians could be like a coffee mug book. There's all of these verses that people have memorized. And this one particularly um, of letting the peace of God transcend all understanding, like you've heard that before, but like, it's like, what is Paul talking about? He's really talking about people who know how to have joy in the Lord no matter what their circumstances are. Like, it sounds good, right? Living it is way different. To actually be people who have a confidence and a joy in the Lord, no matter what the circumstances are, is a lot easier said and done. And so we're gonna look at what Paul gives for us and so the layout of the scripture, um, first he has like a personal note to these two women, they're fighting in the church and he says, you guys need to stop fighting in the church and then after that he talks about having joy and then how when we have this joy, how we relate to others and then there's this posture of having this non ancients presence but submitting our whole lives to God through prayer and that's what we'll have for this morning. So let's pray, ask God to bless our time. God in heaven, we ask that your presence would be just that for us. Show us that you provided in your presence in Christ and by the Spirit uh, all that we need to have a non-anxious presence, to care and love for one another, to serve others. Lord, to realize that we don't believe in the lie that we are in control, but we believe the reality that you are in control. Things don't and will not always go the way that we want, but they always will go the way, Lord, in which you sovereignly guide human history. Help us to trust in you. And to love you, I'm supposed to follow you, in Jesus' name, Amen. So there, I was reading this book, and it was talking about um, this particular storm um, and this particular captain and his and his um, team that were on the storm on the on the lake, or excuse me, they're on the they're on some body of water. It was bad, and. Um, <laughs> Years ago, a, hundred, a couple hundred years ago, and what it talks about, though, is how everyone thought they were going to die because of this particular storm, and the waves are crashing in and so forth. And one particular person went and made to the top of the, uh, the bridge of the boat and came back down and said, hey, we're going to be okay. And, and even though the storm's getting worse, the water's getting worse, and so forth, he says, hey, we're going to be okay. And the reason is, I just saw the captain, and the captain looked like he's going to be okay. And there was something about just by being able to look at the captain, the circumstance had actually not changed, maybe even gotten worse, but looking at the presence of the captain actually changed their whole mindset. And then these men were able to survive. And there's something about this presence that the captain had that changed the whole demeanor of the people that were a part of it. Um, for me, that's something I desire, and I look and see what happens when there's a leader or there's a person or people that have that sort of presence, how people begin to be calm just because of the person that's in charge. Um, as you see this a lot in sports, um, like, for, for instance, if you watch sports, like I do sometimes, mainly for sermon illustrations only, and then <laughs> if there's a coach within sports that has this, it's someone by the name of Tony Dungy, okay? And if you guys don't know who Tony Dungy is, that's fine, but Tony Dungy himself is the epitome of a non-anxious presence. Because if you watch college football, college basketball, NFL football, like, it would seem that the requirement of being a coach is someone who loses it every once in a while. It's like, he doesn't lose it, she doesn't lose it, they're not qualified, right? And so, for whatever reason, he does not Years ago, I had a friend of mine who played for Tony Dungy, and I was talking to him about faith and Jesus and so forth. He wasn't a follower of Christ. And I said, if there were anybody in the world that can convince you to be a Christian just by their life, who would it be? right? Other than me, I said, who is it that you would want to, <laughs> I'll give you that out. And um, and he said, by far, Tony Dungy. And I'm like, really? Because I've never met anybody like that. The ability to be able to motivate people without having to yell at them, to be, to be able to clearly be in, like in charge and yet just be calm. So he recommended me read his book, Quiet Strength, which is the book that he they wrote. And somebody says, so good. This is so good. <laughs> it is really good. And so he starts off by saying how he learned this, this quiet strength, this non-anxious presence and so forth was by watching his dad. And he says, he talks about a trip, how they were fishing, and he was a young boy, and it was him and his brother and his dad, and they're on the boat. And his brother just kind of recklessly throws the rod out there. And his dad very calmly says, hey, buddy, when you throw the rod out there, you got to be careful who's around you because you can hook their lip And Dungy uh, Dungy describes how his dad calmly says that, and he turns around, and his dad's pulling the hook out of his lip, right? And yet he's calm, just going, hey, man, nothing, you know, uh, (laughs) and he's calmly saying this. And there's this sense of going, he goes, that's how I learn this non-anxious presence. When we begin to, like, grow in our faith as as Christians, there is this posture in which all of us in Christ Jesus ought to have. And the issue is not so much that I don't have it because there's a lack in God. It may be that the lack is not in God and his ability to provide. It may be in my lack to be actually seek God to be able to have it. But sometimes we see the things in scriptures that God has for us, whether it's joy, whether it's patience. Any of the things we have, we go, well, I don't have that. And, I, and sometimes it's almost we want to blame God when God's like, I've provided everything that you need that pertains to godliness. And God hasn't actually put us on some, like, uh, clue hunt, like, I'm just going to give you one more clue. He's like, no, it's found in Jesus. Do you want them? And do you want all the things that I have for you? So fortunately for us, we have the word of God that reveals these things in which we can allow ourselves by faith in Christ to be able to have all that God has provided for us, even that non-anxious presence. If you're with me here in chapter 4, verse 2, he says this. First, he deals with the issues that's happening in this particular fight between these particular women. He says, I entreat Eodoia and I entreat Sintica, if that's how you even pronounce either of their names. Um, Apparently, he says to agree in the Lord. Apparently, what was happening, that there was a fight. One woman said to the other woman, your name's worse than mine. Another one was like, Sintica smells like stinky, like whatever. So they got after it. this is all, um, you know, conjecture, and so you have, you 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 have this issue that's going on: two women fighting in the church. Now, I'm not going to say like this is some joke because you know women be fighting in churches or anything like that. I'm just saying, this is what is in Scripture, okay? And the fact that these women are disagreeing with each other, I think, is somewhat helpful for us. Here's why: people disagree and fight with each other in the church. Sometimes as Christians, we say things like, oh, man, this person's doing that, and they are supposed to be Christian. Okay, that should never come out of our mouth. Somehow, to be surprised, that our man or woman who loves Jesus actually does things that doesn't look like they love Jesus. We call that people being sinners. It's not an excuse. It's actually a reality. And to think that anybody who's in Christ, no matter how long they've walked with Jesus, will not drift away from the things of God absolutely shows that we fundamentally don't believe the very essence of the gospel. And that is we cannot do for ourselves but what God can do for us in Jesus. And when we begin to live in ourselves, we will look like the opposite of Jesus. And sometimes, excuse me, a lot of times that happens with people within the church, right? And the thing you need to see about these particular women is that these are not just like new Christians or people who just kind of showed up. These are people who have been around this particular church for a while. And we know this because Paul continues in verse three he says, Yes, I ask you also, true companion, speaking of another person, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel, together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are written in the book of life. What Paul is saying is, these women are not reconciled, there's not harmony, there needs to be, they can't figure it out themselves, I need you, my true companion, whoever he or she is, to come in, oh yeah, also get Clement, I love these people, these particular women, he says, they've labored with me, meaning they were there from the beginning when God started the church here. These are mature people. Mature people in Jesus sometimes don't get it. Talk about that last week. And he said, however, mature people in, in, in Jesus ought to be reconciled. they got to be able to deal with something. Notice what he didn't say. He says, make sure that they agree in the Lord, not make sure they see each other's side the right way. Um, he didn't say, tell one of them that they can go to another church. It's down the street, right? He didn't say that. He didn't say, tell one of them to write a very cryptic, passive-aggressive um, comment on social media. Like, it did, he didn't say anything. He actually tells them to agree in the Lord, meaning the gospel gives people intimate, or excuse me, infinite opportunities to be able to express the forgiveness in which we've received in Christ Jesus. This is inevitable in the church. There's inevitable. You are going, is going to make you upset in this church, and, and so you are going to upset somebody else. Maybe. Here's why it may not happen in our church. You have to actually talk to each other for that to happen. <laughs> right? Did he just say, yes. So there's, in all honesty, if we're we're, we're being honest, a lot of us don't know each other. I don't expect everybody to know everybody in this church by any means. But some of us, we we relate to people in ways that people relate to people at the grocery store, right? There's this, like, kind of kindness that you have because you're both in the same grocery store. I might let you know where the cereal are that you're looking for. But outside of that, I have no desire to be a part of your life. You want to make sure that there's no conflict? Don't talk to anybody, You want to make sure that conflict is inevitable, and yet you can have a deepness of relationship in the gospel, actually be immersed and entangled in the lives of one another. Just try it. I dare you to. So you have Paul saying this to this particular group of people, um, and he says their names are written in the book of life. So he deals with the personal part of going first. There's got to be a team. There's got to be harmony. You have to be together. And then he says this, verse 4, rejoice in the Lord always. I will say... again, I will say, rejoice. There's a sense where he's saying, rejoice, rejoice. Like, I want to make sure you know rejoice. In fact, that word rejoice or joy comes up over and over again in the book of Philippians. It's kind of like the theme word of the entire book. And when Paul begins to talk about joy here, he's not talking about happiness. I want to be very clear. He's not talking about happiness in the way in which we define happiness, that your circumstance is going really well. He doesn't say, just be happy because things are going well. He's like, no, no, joy, hear me on this, is having a firm belief and confident that God is for your good and his glory. Right? Hear me on this. Sometimes we think God is only for his glory. It's like he's sovereign, he's powerful, he's going to do whatever he wants to do, and he's just, just only for his glory, not necessarily my good. So he's distant. I'll believe in him one day to be better. And so we have this distant understanding and relationship with God. Or... We begin to see, whoa, whoa, God is good. He's for my good. And so we begin to have this idea of what our good is and, and not what God says our good is. And so, therefore, we begin to treat God like a genie. Like he's going to do all these things. Here, we don't have a genie. We have a Savior. And because we have a Savior who saves us by sheer grace, meaning not something we did, that means there's, there's not nothing we can't expect for him to allow in our life. That he actually doesn't owe us what we would call the good life. And I wish that many of us, as we sit under the scripture, as we read the scripture, that we would actually believe the scripture that begins to let us know what our Lord said, in this world, you will have tribulations. Like he didn't even, he didn't even hide it. He just said, no, it's going to be good. And it's going to be all, it's going to get good. It's going to be pretty bad, actually. But, but he says, I've overcome the world. Like I've given you something in the midst of the bad. And what's better than anything is his presence in him. The same God who says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So when Paul says, I want you to rejoice, Paul is not writing this from Disneyland. He's writing this from a prison cell. And I don't think that our faith oftentimes, in the context in which we are, grows out of suffering. Our faith somehow grows out of summer camps and spiritual highs. And none of those are bad. It's just that where our faith is supposed to be developed the most... As when we're in the mud. And we have this, Paul is not saying this would be a great verse to put in a coffee mug. No, this is going to be a great verse to be able to live in the waters of your life when they're as muddy and murky as they will be. So I don't know your guys' stories. I know some of you guys' stories. And some of us in this room, in the last six months, you've gone through hell. And, 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 and I, I can't believe you said that word. You've gone through heck. <laughs> right? But if... But you know it was hell. So there's, and and I say that to go, it doesn't mean that somehow it's going to get better always either. And yet Paul said you can still have joy in the midst of it because you can have Jesus in it. And I think sometimes we would rather have the circumstance change than than Jesus change us within the midst of the circumstance. The gospel of Jesus Christ lets us know that God may not always change the circumstances. Listen, right, I share with you guys, I got all sorts of issues going on in my family right now and it's, it stinks, right, and it's sad, and it's really difficult, and I'm so thankful that I have men and women in my life, particularly my wife and my close friends, that are able to root me back to where I need to be, right, because there's not a man or woman in, in this room that doesn't drift away from having our eyes fixed on the captain, because these, these waves that we experience, they're real, and they will knock us over, and yet, Also equally and more powerfully real is the fact that we have a Savior who has allowed himself to be knocked over by the ultimate wave of sin, Satan, and death. And yet he came up victorious and promises to give us that same victory to reside with him as we walk with him. It just depends on are we actually going to go receive what he's given us, right? So Paul says, rejoice. I say again, rejoice. So when you think about it, a lot of it is how are you going to react to the circumstances around you in joy? So let me try to communicate this in kind of a silly way. So a couple things we tried, someone's taught me this, and we try to teach this to our kids and stuff. Um, imagine this. This is your, like this is the picture of your brain, right? So this is your brain, and this is your brain on drugs. No, I'm just, that's... <laughs> so here's your brain, right? Say this is like your... <laughs> right, so what you have here is you have this part here, your brain right here. This part tells you that... Um, you know you're hungry you're hot and so forth and you have this this part of your brain this is the part that tells you like listen like fight flight get out of here you're going to die like that like very very panicky part right and this part right here is like this is your executive decision and what happens when people flip their lid you've ever heard that phrase flip their lid what happens is this happens and they go from hey you know what okay i'm not going to die right now it just didn't go my way to okay i'm going to die right and because this begins to make the decisions. Well, let's just use an illustration um, with kids because kids flip their lid, I don't know, like three or four times a minute. So you have this, it's, it's the kid finishes a hot dog and and then all of a sudden they say, hey, can I have another hot dog? And you go, no more hot dogs. What, you don't love me, you've never loved me. I'm about to starve, right? And it's like, huh, okay, okay, young child. Um, we fed you your entire six years that you've been on this earth. You've ne- you don't even know what it's like to be hungry. You know what, there are kids in Africa right now, right? We go, right so, Right? And then some African king comes over and is like, no, nah, I'm actually from Africa. We've been eating good. Uh, so, so there's there there, there right, you flip your lid. So you see that when it comes to anxiety and things, and people just start like, wait, are they living in reality? So last week, earthquake, California, pretty big earthquake. We were in Northern California, we didn't experience the earthquake, Southern California experienced the earthquake. Um, people in Vegas experienced it. Um, apparently some people in in West Phoenix experienced the earthquake. And so my son started asking me like, you ever been in an earthquake? Grew up in Southern California, I'm like, yes. And I honestly, there's, I, I'm afraid of earthquakes. I, I, every earthquake I've ever been in, like terrifying. The big one was, well, not the big one, cause that hasn't happened yet, um, was Northridge, probably like 92 or something like that for us in Southern California. It was huge and I'll never forget it. All right, both, we're in an apartment complex, we're in the second story and the earthquake happens, right? And I had two reactions of my mom and dad. I mean, it's just shaken forever and everything's falling down. My dad hops up, takes off, runs out of the apartment, down the stairs, gone. Right? He don't take he not take any he's in his draws only, right? He don't take anybody with him. He's like, leave your kids and your wives. Cause I'm the husband, I'm out of here. Right? So he takes off and is, I mean, gone. by the way, they train you as kids what to do in an earthquake. Never once did they say, Take off running, right? It's duck and cover. It's getting the wall of the drum. I mean, it's never that. Meanwhile, my mom comes out, looks at him, gives that look like child, right? <laughs> she grabs our hands, boy, come here. Let's pray in the doorway, right? Now we have the option. Do we react the way my pops did, or do we just go where my mom's at? Both in the same circumstance, wildly different reactions. Let's pray. We prayed, and it was over. It still was super scary. But being in my mom's presence changed our whole demeanor of it. When Paul says rejoice, I say rejoice. He's saying rejoice in the Lord. He's not saying fake it till you make it. Pretend that things aren't bad. Pretend that the world's not shaking. Metaphorically, it's shaking all around us. Yet, we have someone who says, you can hold on to me as I hold on to you, and you can find that joy that is available for any man, woman, or child who would begin to rest in their sovereign Savior, Jesus Christ. And he says that's something that happens when we find ourselves rooted in this sort of way. But the only way we can be rooted in that, we have to take God serious, the God of the Bible serious, and let him tell us, as it's revealed in Scripture, who he is. Paul says, rejoice. Say it again. Rejoice. Verse five. He says, "And let your reasonableness be known to everyone." Here's what he's saying: When you have this joy, this joy that realizes that you have a belief in God, who is sovereign and good, who causes or allows all things for our good and also for His glory, that it may not go the way that we want. Oftentimes, it does not go the way that we want. Like, are you saying you can't be sad? Absolutely, you you will be sad. But he's still good. Or you say things will never go my way. No, things might actually go your way. He's still good even if it doesn't. I just think sometimes we, we, we only think he's good if it goes our way. And yet many of us in this room go, it's never really always gone my way. Yet God knows exactly what he's doing. And so in essence what he's saying, when you have joy, no matter what the circumstances are, it's okay not to be okay. As long as you have a faith and belief in a God who's going to make all things okay. Right? Right? And it may not be on your timing, but yet his timing is impeccable for what he's doing. That means we're going to actually have to believe in him with faith. And not a blind faith, but not with necessarily our earthly eyes, but faith which comes with eyes in which we see through the lens of the gospel in which we receive in Christ Jesus. So when we have that sort of joy, he says, now you can let your reasonableness, which is a word that we don't normally use, and it's hard for um, like us to even translate this, this particular word from Greek to English because it means so much. It could be translated re- reasonableness. It could be translated uh, mercy. It could be tra- translated kindness. It could be translated into your big-heartedness. It could be translated, probably the best way, is graciousness. And what it's saying is that as you are rooted in a way that brings you this, in the presence of the Lord, that brings you this non-anxious presence, now you can take your eyes off of yourself and begin to graciously begin to lean into others. Graciously begin to deal with others in whatever situation that they're going through that you may be able to kindly and humbly deal with others and whatever waves that are crashing in upon them that this whole section is about how we relate to God and then relate to one another it is one woman to tell the other woman that they need to find where they meet in Jesus It is Paul telling us in God to be able to have joy. And when we have that joy, to be able to bring that same sort of love and joy that we receive from God to the people around us. And the way that we do that, first and foremost, is by actually being in the people around us, life. Like being able to have people who can step into your life and that you also can be able to step into their life. Not so that you can make their life better, by the way. That's Jesus' job. And by the way, he's really good at it. And he's never giving it up. There's no applications out there for it, okay? All we do is point our friends, our loved ones, our spouses to the one and the only one who can actually make things all good. Amen? Well, then Paul begins to wrap this particular part up with the main thrust of it when he gets to the latter part. First he says, in finishing in verse 5, he says, The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. He says the Lord is at hand. Now, some people take that to believe, like he's saying, like the Lord is coming at any moment. Which the Bible does teach that. This is this, not the point of Paul saying, he's saying the Lord is present. So no matter what ship you're in, no matter what lake or sea you're in, no matter what season of life you find yourself in, that the, if you are in Christ, the Lord is present and that he's present with us. And what we need more than anything, even though we desire for life to not have the particular pangs in which we have, is we need to know that God is present with us. All of us have had moments in our life, whether we've been sick, whether we've been afraid, or whatever it is, and there's, there's somebody in this world that just them being there is enough for you. You don't gonna say a whole lot, just the fact of them showing up Whether they showed up to a game or to a graduation or to visit you when you were just their presence alone. We're talking in the very presence of the divine, of the holy, of the creator. That he's present. He's saying the Lord is at hand. And then he says, do not be anxious. Now let me deal with something here because anxiety is something that we talk about a lot in our culture in our world. Paul is not talking about anxiety in a clinical way. He's not saying you who are clinically have anxiety, stop it. Right. First of all, that would not be what God would say, and then if your therapist ever said that, he or she's not very good. Um, so you have here is worrying. And worrying comes from this lie that we believe that we're actually in control, right? We're just not in control, we wanna be. And sometimes we, we, we um, attribute this particular sort of thing to so like men or women, like, well, women wanna be in control because guys, they don't, they, they, you know, are you serious? We try to, like, we as men or women, we can't control anything. We try to control what our kids do, what they say, how they grow. We try to, we try to control the people at our, our work and our neighborhood, how people drive on the street. Clearly, the laws aren't good enough, and so we need to tell people um, when they should go and so forth. I mean, there's, there's all sorts of things. So when he says do not, ha- do not be anxious, he's saying don't worry. Like, don't be a worrier. And the reason why is you have to begin to trust, as you say you believe, that God is sovereign and that he's the one who's in control. And if that's true, you should be able to relax. And yet, most of us know that's easier um, said than it's done. He says, the Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, like, pray. So let me just say, say this, okay? Kind of like how my dad and my mom they had different experience in that. We, we, try, we try to... We, <laughs> We sometimes make the environment worse than what it needs to be because we don't react in the way of what we say we believe, right? Sometimes we can even be saying the right thing, but our body is doing something opposite. You guys ever seen that with people? Okay, here's a silly way, but it, this is how it happens, with kids, again. So why do you have a lot of kids, like, illustrations? I don't know, because um, they're my life illustrations. So you have, this is how it happens. Two boys, right? The boys start fighting. And you here's the boys fight all the time. You say, well, boys fight. Yes, clearly. But not just boys. Clearly, two women in this church were duking it out. And so (laughs) you you have grown women at that. (laughs) Like, girl, don't you take my weave off. I'm about to. (laughs) (laughs) Again, conjecture. We don't know. Um, So you have two boys fighting. And they get louder and louder and louder. And they just like, it's just out of control. And then what do I do? Right? All right? More things are caught than taught. What do I say? Boys! Stop yelling at each other! We don't yell. We love each other. That is your brother. Quit yelling. <laughs> right? And like, do you understand me? And they're like, yeah. I, I don't think like you do, but yeah. And it is. It's just, it's just you're telling them not to yell, and the way in which you were doing it is by yelling. All right? And it's going, This when, when Paul here says, do not be anxious, he's, he's saying this thing of going, there's a whole nother way in which we ought to live depending on if we, our eyes are fixed on the captain. Most of us in this room would love to say our eyes are fixed on the captain, and yet our actions show elsewise. That our eyes might be fixed on something else. That our cues are not coming from what we see in our Savior. Our cues actually come from the people around us. Paul says this, do not be anxious, but in everything, he says what? Prayer. He doesn't say, do not be anxious. Here's a really good blog you can read that can help you with that. He doesn't say, do not be anxious. Here's a particular pill that you could take tonight that will help you in that. He doesn't say, do not be anxious. No, he's saying, here's what he's saying, do not be anxious by everything, pray. And hear me, when I say take a pill, that doesn't mean that I don't believe that medicine helps, okay? That's not, couldn't be anything further from the truth. What I'm saying is, first and foremost, we don't pray. There is something here that God says is the cure, and we don't go to it, okay? So I'm having surgery on Tuesday. One, I'm telling you that so you can pray for me. Um, I'm getting, like, a nose. It's going to be fine. I was like, what's going to happen with them? I have sleep apnea, so my wife has not been able to sleep for the past 12 years that we've been married <laughs> because she sleeps next to a bear, okay? And so um, I'm, they're going to fix it. They're gonna, they say they're going to make it right, and if they don't, I'm going to be really upset. So anyways, the doctor has been calling me and the pharmacy has been calling me. They said, hey, your medicine, we need you to pick up, okay? It's here at the Walgreens, um, and the Walgreens has my medicine. And they've called me for the past two weeks. I've not picked up the medicine, right? I tend to procrastinate. I like the surgery's on Tuesday, I'll get it when I need it. I'll probably get it Tuesday morning. And so particularly it's like it's not an issue, right? It's at the Walgreens on Mill Avenue and Broadway. It's about a 37-second drive from my house. Yet I haven't gone there. The issue is not that the physician hasn't provided what I needed. The issue is that I have not going to receive all that's already there for me. Our worrying and anxiety, I'm not talking clinically, but the way in which we operate towards each other, the way in which we flip our lid, the way in which we think spiritually sometimes the sky is falling, oftentimes is because the physician has provided in Christ Jesus everything in which we need, but we won't actually go and receive it by faith because we don't pray there's so many other remedies in which we will go to and which we think we'll be able to do the job. And God is saying there is one, and it is prayer. And prayer is not so much about what it does to God, it's what God does to you as you pray. And prayer in itself is not even so much of just you talking with God, it's about you being with God. And when we have a people who understand the very presence of God and sit and practice through prayer, the presence of God, it does create a very a opportunity for us to be more non-anxious than we already are. And there's not a person in this room, maybe there's a few that would say, but my prayer life is like ridiculously good already. Right? No, we I mean, and I, we joke around about it, but it's true. Like most people don't say, oh, prayer? Whew, yeah. Sometimes I pray too much. Um, you know, like I was going to go to the grocery store, but I was praying for so long and it was like, oh my gosh, right? No, no. People are not like, I got into the prayer and I just started searching different prayers and I was praying, I was praying, and I got confused and I was praying for all these people. I didn't even no, no. If we're honest, it's actually not the thing we go to. It's not the thing we go to. And yet, here's what Paul says when we have that that if we want to have that presence like a Tony Dungy that we wanna have that presence to be able to be with people and show our big heartedness, that we wanna be reconciled to the people around us, that we want to experience the things that God has for us, That all the physician has prescribed that he has for us. He says, here's what you need to do, and everything, that's small, big, everything, small, big, whatever, everything he says, um, prayer and supplications with thanksgiving Let your request, that's your prayer. He basically says all these sentiments are the same thing. Pray. And let your request be made known to God and the peace of God surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ. He's saying, I'm actually not having you to see with your eyes. I'm actually having you to see with the eyes of faith. Because if we only looked with our eyes, we actually don't need the Holy Spirit for that. You don't need to be a Christian for that. Let me just tell you what Paul is promising here that God promises is a promise only for those who follow Jesus Christ. The fortunate blessing for us is that anybody can put their faith in Jesus Christ. And once anybody puts their faith and remains and continues to put their faith in Jesus Christ, then these promises that surpasses all understanding, this particular type of peace and ability to not have to be drowned in our own anxiousness and worry about particular things, even when circumstances don't go our way, even when the waves are crashing in, that we can have this solidness in God because of his presence and which he gives us. And let me just tell you, the, the great physician has already signed what we need. We just have to go and get it. And by the way, he's already paid for it. There's no co-pays, okay? You just be able to receive it and be able to have all that God has for us. And so here's two ways in which I want us to see this, the way that this, this, this plays out. Two ways I'm going to share. The first one is this. Um, when it comes, I was, I was driving the other day um, on Saturday. And I was going southbound on McClintock, right before you get to university. So major street, right? And I see this couple running. They're probably, I don't know, 40s or 50s. And they're running relatively fast, actually. And so I see them running, and the husband, or I think is the husband, he's got his arm on his, like, on this wife. The whole time they're running. First of all, it's 1,000 degrees outside, right? You won't touch anybody. I'm telling Holly at night, scoot over, we'll see each other in the morning. I don't know, it's hot, (laughs) right? And so there is... It's hot, and that's, I'm, I mean, I'm not running, <laughs> I'm trying to go to sleep. So you have, you have this, this, this husband, he's holding on to her, and I kind of like drove past, and I'm like, man, that's awkward. And so we get to the light, and then they catch up, and I look, he's blind. And, yeah, he's blind. I heard someone say what? I uh, just to make sure you, <laughs> I can't see. Uh, <laughs> that's not fair, that's not fair. It was Jade, wasn't it? Was it Jade? <laughs> Dang it. Uh, if I don't know you, uh, you can email me. You get it. JasonRaber at RedemptionAZ.com. <laughs> so he's blind, and, and I'm like, oh, he's holding on to her so he knows where he's going. But here's the thing. He's got full trust in her. They are running on a major street. Like, this is not they're just running in a grass field. Like, they're running down McClintock University. By the way, at 5 o'clock on a Friday. People are trying to get home, and they're just going for a run. And I think what Paul is saying here, when it comes to the joy in which we have and the way in which we live this, it's actually not us holding on to God. That's not how the gospel works. It's that God actually holds on to us, and he leads us. And the eyes in which we begin to see is not so much in just looking at the things around us, but it's resting and trusting in the one who is leading us, the one who is the captain, the one who has the truest non-anxious presence, who went to the cross, who died, who conquered the ultimate giants of sin, Satan, and death, who was victorious, victorious who gives us his victory and promises never to leave us nor forsake us. The way that we grow in a non-anxious presence is by wrestling in our savior to be able to take us through all the traffic and all the chaos and all the loud noises and lies of this world in which we'll be able to find rest in him, amen? Like that, like that picture is actually it. I'm not even gonna say the other one because that one, that's it, that's it. And so the way that we, we as a people have this is one, we need to confess that maybe the biggest lie that we believe is that we can be in control. And maybe, maybe next to it might be that God doesn't care about the things that we care about when he cares about us a lot. There, we, we taught this before in this church, the four Gs. And there's these four truths about God that really begin to shape our behavior. One is God is gracious, so I don't have to prove myself. Like, he's gracious, I don't have to prove myself to anybody. My kids don't have to prove themselves. I don't have to prove my spouse. I don't have to prove my job. You don't, you don't have to prove anything. God is gracious. That God is glorious, and so I don't have to fear others, right? God is good, I don't have to look elsewhere. But the one for this one would be God is great, so I don't have to be in control, if I believe that, it will begin to show. It will begin to show in the way in which we could be calm about things. It will begin to show in the way which we can, even in the midst of our waves, that we can even jump in the waves with other people and be able to relate well with one another. And ultimately, we begin to show the life and love that we begin to learn in Jesus. So in some ways, if Tony Dungy can say one experience in a boat by watching my dad pull the hooks out of his lip, we should be able to afresh revisit the cross of Christ in which the nails were pierced and the blood was shed for our sins in which the tomb was empty for us to be able to have new life and which as we sing that we would be able to drink deep from the waters of the Lord and that sinners may be refreshed and when we're refreshed in the person of Jesus the God of this universe that maybe then he might be able to reshape our lives in a way in which we can have a non-presence present non anxious presence with the people around us amen I apologize to whoever it is that I offended over here. Um, we're, gonna not ser- we're not going to put this sermon on the, on the internet. <laughs> Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for the uh, love that you give us. We thank you that, Lord, you, you've given us more in Christ than we can think, ask, or imagine, and you continue to do more. We are not unrealistic, Lord, to think that somehow that means that life will always go great. Lord, that there are many times in which the season of suffering, even sometimes of doubt, linger longer than we want to. And we ask, Lord, even in the midst of that, that we'd be able to find the joy in which you promised in Jesus. You provided everything, Lord. Give us the strength by your grace to go and receive by faith all in which you've richly provided. God, we pray that we'd be able to rest in you, find our hope in you, and to find our joy in you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.